0: Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. Our program has been off-air for a few weeks due to our fundraising efforts here at the station. And our program, Crónicas de la Raza, would like to take a moment to recognize all the people in Mexico and here and all over the world that have been affected by the earthquakes in Mexico. We all have opportunities for people to show their support and also support humanitarian aid in rebuilding at the end of this program. Stay tuned. La Raza Chronicles would also like to take a moment to read in part from a statement put out by, by Boricua writers and thinkers called The Cruelest Storm, a statement for Puerto Rico. We'd like to acknowledge, although Hurricane Maria was a very intense category four storm, this natural disaster is not natural. It is unnatural because the consequences are in large part due to the colonial relationship Puerto Rico has had with imperialist powers, the U.S. has exerted through policies and practices on the island. Acts like the Jones Act, which regulates and controls all maritime travel and the ports in Puerto Rico have limited the number of goods since 1920 that Puerto Ricans can receive, more than doubling the cost of living on the island. Other acts like the PROMESA Act, which along with imposing millions of dollars of accrued debt forcing Puerto Rico to adopt austerity measures on the island, has also created a governmental body that completely controls finances and laws on the island. Limiting any sovereignty, which has limited its ability to act in these incredibly crucial moments. Crónicas de la Raza, along with many others, stands with the people of Puerto Rico and all their loved ones all over the world, and we will offer opportunities for people to donate directly to the island and also advocate for the end of these policies like the Bromesa and Jones Act. Like many others, La Raza Chronicles sees these acts that are just a continuation of colonial policies as preventing Puerto Rico's recovery. And with that, we'd like to focus our program on on solidarity work through art and culture. We bring you an interview with Jose Navarrete, along with Debbie Kashiyama, live from Mexico, DF, where they speak to us about the earthquake, along with their work to make connections between the 43 teachers that were disappeared in Ayotzinapa, Mexico, as well as linking that to the work of community groups here in the Bay Area. In addition, we bring you an interview with, with filmmaker Rick Tejada Flores on his film, My Bolivia, Remembering What I Never Knew, where a local filmmaker embarks on his voyage of discovery to Bolivia, where his grandfather was president during the 1930s. He encounters a history of slavery, his grandfather's role in the bloodiest war in Latin American history, and never mentioned family member who wrote land reform laws stripping the family of its estate and administering the first elections in Bolivia where Bolivian indigenous people could vote. We also bring you an interview with Marco Villalobos around his film Beyond La Bamba which looks at a family and legacy of Son Jarocho producers and the story of one person's time in the United States building community through his music. And last but not least, we will bring you lots of music and also ways to plug in and support in these difficult times. Muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. Stay tuned. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. I'm Julieta Kuznir. Today, we're really lucky to have two guests on the phone with us. We're recording this actually on September 22nd, just a few days after the earthquake in Mexico. But we're very lucky to have on our guests. We have Jose Navarrete on and also Debbie Kajiyama on our show. They're producing an incredible piece. It is uh, performed and conceived by both Jose and Debbie. And it is a tribute. It's called Buscarte focuses on desaparecidos and really is in commemoration of the 43 students that have disappeared from Ayotzinapa Rural Teachers College. First of all, thank you so much, Debbie and Jose, for taking time out to speak with me while you were in Mexico, and this is a very intense time.
1: No, thank you so much for allowing us to be with you guys.
0: So first off, let's just take a moment and I know that your show, you know, the purpose of your show is memory and making sure that people have very present the violence, the state-sponsored violence, and also the ways that so many people are feeling their families separated and divided because of fear, fear of of government repression, as well as fear of narco-state, etc. So... Since we're talking about your show, it's hard to not talk about also what's happening right now in Mexico. If you could just quickly tell us, I think the news is very mixed. We are hearing some stories of solidarity and people coming together and also a lot of stories about fear. Can you tell us just what it feels like to be in Mexico right now?
1: Well, it's uh, definitely, it's a very powerful time to be here. I mean, like we have been able to go around, especially in the areas that have been affected the most. And we have seen, like, an, a lot of amazing solidarity. I mean, there's a lot of people really trying to help. And, you know, like, I think that's what we see. You know, I think the problem right now is about coordinating, coordinating volunteers and and being more specific about what, what are their needs in those places. So, So it's really powerful to be here at this time.
2: System. Right. And, you know, it came on the heels of just another earthquake that happened a few weeks ago as well. So and it also came on the anniversary, the 32nd anniversary of the 1985 quake that hit Mexico City very hard. And so we woke up on Tuesday morning and to the sound of cohetes commemorating that that earthquake. And then we went to a drill, a fire, an evacuation drill that everyone had. That happened
1: do. at 11 o'clock in the morning, so everybody in the whole Mexico City and probably nationwide, um, they w- we were doing the drill.
2: And then we thought that when the earthquake happened, we thought, what, is there another drill happening? And a lot of people had thought that, but it was an actual earthquake, so it was. it's really devastating to see all of the damage and, and injuries and deaths that have happened, but it's Really heartening to see all of the support and solidarity of people regular people who just want to go like lift heavy stones and just do everything that they can in order mm. to support others.
1: yeah, I think one of the great um, you know amazing and extremely emotional events was happened that you know these woman and children they were like just like running from one corner to another to just carry water or carry you know materials for the people to You know, a need. It was really, I mean, like, it was really powerful to see that.
0: I'm speaking to Jose Navarrete along with Debbie Kajiyama. They're producing Buscarte, which is Searching for You. And it is really along the same lines, which is solidarity. That's the focus of your piece, which is solidarity with the many people who have disappeared in Mexico, specifically thinking about the students. So this is a time where people are really thinking about showing their support for Mexico and doing what they can um, from far away. So tell us about this piece that actually people can see here in the Bay Area, October 20th and 21st.
1: So the first thing that I wanted to say that we are here in Mexico because we wanted to be in the commemoration of the three years of the disappearance of the the forty-three. And that is going to happen. I mean, they are changing a little bit the plans because of the solidarity of, of, of Mexico City. But there's going to be a march, September 26th, and we are here for that. And also, we are hoping to stay until October the 2nd, which is the massacre of the students in 1968. So that kind of really help us to, for us to go deeper to really understand the whole concept of disappear and how it really affects us in, 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 in the local sphere, in the local, you know, surroundings that we live, especially in Auckland. We are so lucky to be working with so, so amazing collaborators, and maybe Debbie can help us a little bit to describe them.
2: All right. So we are working with sound designer and composer Adria Adi, who's doing some really cool stuff with voice manipulation and programming. Um, We're also ourselves designing a bunch of objects and set pieces um, that we use a lot in our work um, in order to kind of evoke some kind of emotion and set uh, a scene. I also think that the work thinks about the concept of being a witness and what it means to, for example, be here witnessing tragedy and witnessing very intense things that some things are very difficult to think about and very traumatic to to witness for a long time. But on the flip side, it's also extremely important to be a witness and find out what that impels you to do in solidarity and in support of the victims.
0: So something that I know for a lot of us here in the Bay Area, when we feel kind of hopeless and far away from what's happening in Mexico or just guilty in terms of thinking about the U.S. role in all of this and how our taxpayers in some ways make us implicit in some of this violence, art and culture work has really been just an important way to feel re-energized and connected and think about another world that may be possible and how we can there for people that are so far away. Give us a sense of some of the things that people may walk away with after being a part of this production.
1: Well, definitely we wanted to put uh, into in, into the table the two major investigations that have happened with the 43, which is one, the official one, the, of, the official research that they did for Yosinapan, uh, and the independent investigation that was produced by the the forensic uh, anthropology experts so that kind of really contradicts the official one and we are looking at that we are looking at that how the official government are trying to close the case trying to make conclusions that that they don't have any evidence for that so for us to really look at the, the, the investigation really is making us to question how power works and how all those elements are flashing away so that they can... They wanted to appease uh, the whole conflict and, you know, c- try to close the case. And, and that's kind of very problematic because in, in the independent investigation, like, there is no evidence that they have found, you know, the, the bodies or... Or anything so for us is to really like contemplate how power is put on us to to create false evidence and we need to deal with that and I think that's for us I think the the movement of the 43 is to to you know to say no this is not right you haven't found there is not that concrete evidence that might my, you know, the, the students are disappeared, so...
2: Right, they're trying to sweep everything under the rug and say we're finished, but we're not finished.
1: Yeah. So for us is to 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 be solidarity with the families and to really, like, continue their efforts of, of struggle to, you know, to bring justice. One of the things that we are so happy to, to be doing, especially in the area, is working with Mujeres Unidas. I don't know if you know about Mujeres Unidas. Mujeres Unidas is a Latina community organization that helps women for world labor and human rights. And um, there is a powerful, a powerful organization. And we have been working with them really closely. Hopefully, in the next iteration, they will be more involved. But right now, we are bringing the issue of disappear with them. They are pretty much there. Trying to help us, or like trying to expand our notion of disappear with their lives, you know how they see what it disappear. Because actually, the kind of the terms of disappear has different meanings and different different things. And when we were talking with them, they said like, you know, like I feel like I am disappearing in this country. You know, I don't, I don't have rights, or like I've been separated by my family, like that. Some sense of disappear or like I am I cannot go to Mexico to be with my family when they have when somebody dies so like for me is this complete separation and that creates some disappearance
0: you're speaking to us from Mexico where you are at to commemorate the anniversary of murder of 43 student teachers from Ayotzinapa. And you're also, we're speaking just a few days after this earthquake, but you'll be back. The show is October 20th and 21st. So tell us the details. How can people see this performance that connects so many different issues and connects uh, so many different ways that people are working to bring light and justice?
2: Sure. Um, the performance will be Friday and Saturday, October 20th and 21st at a place called Joe Good Annex. It's at 401 Alabama Street at the corner of 17th Street in San Francisco. And um, you can find tickets at Joe Good's uh, Annex's website Or and no one will be turned away for lack of funds. So if you want to see the show and you don't have enough coins in your pocket, please come and join us anyway. We would love to hear your feedback as we continue to work on this issue. Um, They can go to joegood, dot org, and uh, click on the box office. Um, If you're on Facebook, you can also look for Naka Dance Theater and we have info there as well.
0: Thank you so much. I've been speaking to Jose Navarrete along with Debbie Kashiyama. They are NACA Dance Theater, and they are presenting Buscarte, Searching for You. It, this performance will be happening October 20th and 21st, only two nights, so people have a limited time to catch this. And they're speaking to us from Mexico City on September 22nd. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. We're now going to play for you a new release off of Bangdad's latest. This is called Ya No Mas. And Bangdada will be having their CD release party this Friday, October 6th, with Ceci Bastida, Chulita Vinyl Club, and Mr. Lucky DJing. This will be at the new pair. Show starts at 8. There's still a few tickets left. Bangdada will be doing their album release party for their album, Loco. So don't miss it. Here you can get a taste of Ya No Mas.
3: El sol salió en un rincón, los ojos arden sin temor, ya no más. Las olas cantan, la arena escucha, tus pasos faltan, no tengo alas, quiero más.
0: listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza, and we're here with a very special guest in studio. We have documentary filmmaker Rick Tejada Flores joining us to talk to us about his latest project, My Bolivia. Muchísimas gracias, Rick, for, for being here with us.
4: Igualmente. Un placer.
0: So Rick, this is a really exciting film. It's been a long time coming and I'm very excited that the whole community is going to get to see this. It's going to air nationally and it's going to be an opportunity for people to learn a little bit about your story, your personal family story, but also really get to know Bolivia and get to see some images that otherwise they'd never get to see. So Tell us a little bit about the stories that My Bolivia tells.
4: Well, first of all, you know, I think if you asked most people in this country to point to Bolivia on the map, they couldn't do it. So I wanted to make a film about what my family did in Bolivia, but I had to be part of it and I had to explain what it was. But the stories start with the colonial period. My family came over in probably the third or fourth generation. Most countries in Latin America were agricultural in that point, so they had huge estates. They grew coca and they used slaves. People don't think of slaves as a Latin American function, but there were there were more slaves in Brazil than there were in the United States. So there's the colonial period. And a relative of mine once said, we were better than the rest of the families. We freed our slaves before they had to be freed. So that that's the early period. Then in the 20th century, family's pretty wealthy and powerful. My grandfather's involved in politics. He becomes president. He's president during the Chaco War, which people here have never heard of. It's the bloodiest war in Latin America. And actually, he was the guy that got it to an end. He wasn't the guy that started it. So that's, that's a pretty dramatic moment. Then finally people wake up in Latin America and all over the continent starting in the 50s you have popular movements. And there was one in Bolivia in the 50s, uh, a revolution that overthrew the old order and uh, did land reform and confiscated the estates. And one of the amazing things I learned when I did the film was that a relative of mine was part of the revolutionary leadership and he was the guy that wrote the land reform law that took our family's land away. So that's an amazing story, but it's also amazing, and maybe not understandable, that I never heard his name in any family meeting before that. He was written out of history, like the airbrushed pictures in the Kremlin. The strangest thing I found was that um, one day I'm talking to my uncle, and he says, oh, Rick, did you ever hear the story about the Nazi that worked for us? No. Who was he? It was Klaus Barbie, otherwise known as the Butcher of Lyon the guy who ran the Gestapo in, in France, a big area of France during the war. This is just news to to the world. It was news to me. You know, again, my family never mentioned Barbie, and I think we can all understand why they didn't. You know, and, and so one of the issues I'm working on when I'm doing the film is, what did they know and when did they know it? And it turns out that Barbie wasn't revealed as Barbie till the 80s, long after my family was gone. But, But Barbie was clearly a Nazi. He never made any secret about it, so... I think they knew that there was a Nazi running a sawmill on their property. So, the more I, the more I went. Every time I went down, I learned something new, and th- that was the whole point. I wanted to, I wanted to figure out what my family had done, and it was a, it was a long, slow process. But that's good because I learned more.
0: I'm speaking to Rick Tejada Flores about his documentary *My Bolivia*, which is going to be airing on PBS, and people can check it out this month. It's very exciting. You, you can see it and really get to experience so much of a country that otherwise we don't really hear much about. So, Rick, you talked a little bit about some of the characters in your doc, and you are a character. Your family history is a big way that you're telling the story of Bolivia. Who are some of the other characters that our listeners will get to meet when they see your doc?
4: Well, they're people in Bolivia. How many people here know Bolivians? I was not very optimistic. My grandfather passed away in 1930. I said, whoa, oh, it would be wonderful if I could find someone who actually knew him. And I did. I found an old Indian man who had been christened, had had been, you know, my grandfather was his godfather. And so he remembered him from when he was a little kid. Amazing experience. Um, I met another person. I was trying to find people connected with the family who had grown up on the estate, and he. Uh, he grew coca like everyone else in that part of Bolivia. And, you know, he wasn't a drug lord. He was dirt poor. So I, I met people like that. There were still some veterans alive from the Chaco War, very old men in their 80s, still proud of what they did, even though the consensus is that it was another meaningless war fought for things no one could find out. So, so you know, finding these voices, really authentic, you know, a range of people who live in Bolivia who, who talked about it from personal experience, you know, this is our country, this is this is how we live. That was really wonderful.
0: Something else that I really loved about the film is, first of all, it's really beautifully shot and there's you get to see so many different paisajes, so many different landscapes, and I think that's something that normally when people think of, Bolivia, they don't really get a sense of what it looks like. So tell us about some of the places you went to shoot.
4: Well, Bolivia has, has its highs and lows. It's, you know, it's the crown of the Andes, the Cordillera. So the top part of Bolivia is the Altiplano, the very high deserts. And then La Paz is the capital. It's a very unusual city. Usually the rich people live at the top, the highest ground, looking down on the poor people. In this case, they don't want to live at the top because the top is 13,000 feet. So they live down at 9,000 feet. So, uh, But then, you know, from the Andes, you go east and the mountains slope off to the Brazilian Amazon jungles. So part of Bolivia is subtropical, and that's, that's the area where my family had the estates because that's very fertile ground. So it's, it's a wide range. Uh, you know, it's not just mountains and it's not just people playing panpipes and banging on guitars.
0: So the film really gets into the fact that oftentimes when we think about Latin American history, we think about, okay, we had indigenous groups that had their own conflict and their own societies, and then we had the Spanish that came over and maybe pillaged and took riches and and created these viceroys, and then there was independence from the Spanish, and then we have... Society as it is now. It's a very simplistic way of seeing um, the different stages of evolution of the nation states in Latin America. So, with Bolivia, your film really gets into the fact that just all the different ways that people fought to kind of create a Bolivia that was more for Bolivians, or the ways that the government maybe take advantage of folks and, you know, the different f- stages and f- and the different types of governance that existed. So tell us about some of the things that maybe you think that that someone watching your film would <laughs> learn about Bolivia, Well, that maybe they kind of would, would surprise them.
4: What I think they would learn and get the sense of, and I, you know, when you make films, you don't want to preach. You want to show things and let people make up their own mind. It's bigger than Bolivia. It's when we think of Latin America, we think of Indians and white people. We think of rich and poor. We think of dictators. You know, I think some American senator once said, "The United States will fund anyone in Latin America who can afford a pair of dark glasses." Uh, you know, and and permanent revolution. You know, from the Sandinistas to the Tupamaro guerrillas. So those are threads that run all through Latin America. So one of the things I want to do is is show people that that it's a fragile. Balance, uh, you know that there are democratic institutions, but you know. But guess what? You know, a couple of generations we had military dictatorships. We had Pinochet in Chile. We had horrible military in Argentina and Brazil. So, in a way, things have changed, but in a way, you see the same sort of underlying structure that you always saw in Latin America. Simon Bolivar is the liberator. Almost at his deathbed, he said, "Trying to bring democracy to Latin America was like trying to plow the ocean." So the struggle goes on. Poor people are still fighting for their rights. Bolivia has an Indian president, Evo Morales, for the first time in 400 years, and that's really wonderful. Things have really changed for for the people at the bottom of the ladder. And at the same time, the people at the top of the ladder hate him because, you know, they're afraid they're going to lose everything. So you still have this great source of tension in countries like Bolivia that, that it's not— it's not a melting pot, you know. It's not kumbaya, and can't, why can't we all get together? It's uh, it's difficult. People still have to fight for what they want.
0: We're speaking to Rick Dejada Flores about My Bolivia, which folks can see on PBS this month. It's going to premiere very soon. So, Rick, you actually talk about some, and you visit a town that is mainly, I don't remember if it's Quechua or Aymara, but you know you, people can see that perhaps maybe, yes, literacy rates are higher in Bolivia now with Evo Morales, but there still is a lot of need and inequity. So talk to us about some of the things that people will see or that town you visited.
4: Well, the town was a little village. The village is called Yoheta, and it's part of what used to be a family estate called Yojeta. So it was our land for hundreds of years. And it's dirt poor. I mean, the highways in Bolivia are mostly dirt. So you drive down a dirt road and then another dirt road, and you get to the village, and it's not paved. You know, there's there's no running water. There, you know, there's no street lights. There's nothing. Um, these are really people who just hang on barely. And when I got there, they were very suspicious. They thought I'd come to take the land back. And I said, No, I haven't done that. And we went round and round for a while, and, and we're trying to rebuild the village's water supply because they don't have safe water to drink you know kids grow up sick so you know it's 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 a real portrait of, of the challenges that still exist all over the country you know there's a, there's a lot of uh, foreign aid in bolivia the government is doing a lot to help but it, it's it's things have been so bad for so long that it's a real a real struggle for for example these you know the land reform happened they got the land but they didn't get money for tools they didn't get credit they got the land and you know good luck. So they're still, they're still struggling. It, it, things are not, not easy there.
0: People are probably really excited to find out how can they connect to your film? How, where can they see it? How can they access the website? Give us that information.
4: Well, the film will air on a channel called The World. In the Bay Area, it's KQED World. It's one of the secondary digital channels. It'll be on, on October 8th at 10 o'clock as part of a series called Doc World. It airs nationally then. But, and a lot of people miss broadcasts. So what they do is for the next 90 days after the broadcast, they can go to the World Channel website, which is worldchannel.org, and stream the film. That's one thing they can do. But, you know, when I went there, I felt, well, this, this is great making a film out of it. This isn't going to change people's lives. So, you know, the, the water project I'm working on, that's something people can help support. We're still raising money. It's been tremendously hard. So if people will go to my website, mybolivia.net, there's a way that you can contribute to support really changing people's lives. And, you know, I mean, I, I believe in films. I've done it all my life, but you know, it's nice to do something tangible. And so if people can support the Water Project, that, that will really change people's lives in a way we can see.
0: And so if people go to your website, they can connect with you there to yes. support the Water Project.
4: Yeah, they can, they can learn more about the film, the people I meet. Uh, the whole context, and also there's a page on the website where they can contribute to, to help the people in this village get clean water. It's, it's all there. MyBolivia.net.
0: So Rick, you have made so many incredible films. I mean, some of the films that are now considered mandatory if you're teaching any classes around Latin America or Chicano studies for people to better understand some of the social movements in this country you have been a part of. So why don't you tell our listeners about My Bolivia is a project that you have been really dedicated to, but you've also really been an important force here in this country around documentary filmmaking. So tell our listeners a little bit about some of the things you've been involved with?
4: Well, I hope I have. I, I hope I've contributed. I think the film I'm proudest of is, is the film I made on the farm workers and Cesar Chavez. We tried to raise money for the film for five years. This was in the late 80s. We couldn't raise a penny until Cesar died in 1993. Then all the money came in. It's a biography of Cesar, and it's a portrait of the, the social movement, the farm workers' movement. A little while ago, when Clinton was president, there was he had a national committee commission on race. So everyone was going to do documentaries on race, which is sort of like, oh, isn't this horrible? Can't we do something? So I did a film called Race is the Place with my partner, Ray Tejas, uh, where we said, we're going to communicate with people differently. We're going to use spoken word. We're going to use art. We're going to use poetry and comedy. It's a it's a film called Race is the Place. I was a CO, conscientious object, during the, the Vietnam War. War. So I, I did a film about World War Two conscientious objectors called The Good War and those who refused to fight it. So, you know, I, I do... Films about things I care about, and, and also I've had this, this idea is trying to rescue stories like a film on Diego Rivera. I was lucky enough to do it when people who knew Rivera and his assistants were still alive, so their stories had never been told. And hearing someone who knew Rivera talk about him is different than hearing an art historian who's never met him. You know, I, I like making films, but the real pleasure is meeting these wonderful people and telling their stories. That's, that's an honor.
0: Rick, so we are really happy that people are going to have access to see this latest film, My Bolivia, that you've put so much love into and dedication. It's such a unique way for people to learn about Bolivia because your family history has really been so tied up with uh, so many important moments in time and also moments that people don't hear about otherwise. It's pretty incredible. So people can hear more and learn about your path, understanding your family history, understanding the impact of different people in your family, some of which held very high office, which is pretty incredible. And they can find out all this at mybolivia.net and they can also watch it um, when it airs on
4: October 8th at 10 o'clock on KQED World.
0: And tell us again how people can watch it. If they happen to miss that broadcast, where could they watch it online?
4: Well, it's part of a series that's. Produced by the World Channel out of WGBH. So the World Channel website, which is worldchannel.org, streams all the programs they run. So starting the day after the broadcast, October 9th, you can look at the film by streaming it off the World Channel website for 90 days. I hope you enjoy it. I hope people learn something from it. Everyone wants to find out about their family. You know, this this is really one of these family stories of discovery. And I wanted to do that, and that was the motive for the film. You know, I mean, find out your own story. But... The way I figured out to find out about my family is, well, if I make a film, I'll have to find out. <laughs> so, you know, I, I hope that this touches some universal chords. I, again, you know, it's it's something that, that will give people, you know, every country is different, but it'll give people an insight into a part of the world that they know very little about. And you know, it was a great experience, too, working with wonderful Latin American musicians, Kike Cruz, who used to be in the Bay Area for many years. So it was a very rich experience. I was very lucky
0: so if someone were to find a film around Bolivia it's very likely that what you'd be seeing a film on is the coca trade or perhaps you'd maybe see something more recently about how out of the blue indigenous people kicked out several presidents and then elected the first indigenous president. But there's a lot missing there so tell us about that
4: Well there's a lot missing in most stories because people people don't seem to be too interested in history but you know Bolivia's in a fascinating situation today. There are a lot of drug issues. There is an Indian president, but part of it is—is is how did things get that way? You know, I mean, Indians struggled for four hundred years to uh, to get to this point. It wasn't it didn't happen overnight. And the same thing with the drug trade. There's there's always these other stories. I'm not saying drugs are good; they're bad. But for example, the U.S. government, the Drug Enforcement Administration, has tried to eradicate coca growing in in countries in Latin America, and people don't want to grow coca. They say, well, if we don't grow coca, what are we going to grow? You've got to help us with that. And there's never been the help. You know, and especially in Bolivia, which has no infrastructure at all, if you grow something, some commercial crop, you can't get it to market. The poor people who grow coca, they don't have to get it to market. People come in pickups and take it off to the jungle, do whatever they're going to do with it. So I think it's always good to have context. You know, to, that makes you understand what's happening now if, if you get a sense of how it got that way. And that's what I hope this film is about.
0: I've been speaking with Rick Tejada Flores. He is the producer and director and the force behind My Bolivia, which is going to be something that folks can see. It's an incredible documentary that people can see through world, KQED world, and they can also access online. And I really want to thank you, Rick, for taking time out of your schedule to speak with us. It's
4: been a great pleasure. Delighted to tell people about the film.
0: You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Chronicas de la Raza. We have in the studio with us Marco Villalobos. He is co-producer and director of Beyond La Bamba, which takes a deep look into Son Jarocho, Afro-Mexican music from Veracruz and lots of other parts of Mexico. Muchísimas gracias, Marco, for being here with us in studio.
5: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So Marco, this is an incredible project that, you know, I think I, we were just chatting that I met you many, many years ago and mm-hmm. you're digging in because this is a big passion and love of yours. And you and your partner have your wife have really dedicated yourself to trying to create a place to share these stories that mm-hmm. honestly can't really hear much about elsewhere. So tell us about Beyond La Bamba. Let's first off. There are folks listening that maybe they've never heard Son Jarocho. They don't know. They're hearing it. They don't Mm. know about the history. So let's start there.
5: Yeah. For those people that don't know what Son Jarocho is, like, I got you. I was thinking about you. I saw you coming. And that's why we called it Beyond La Vamba, because everybody knows La Vamba, the big Richie Valens hit. There was actually a hit before Richie Valens, one of the songs that's made its way around the world. I don't know. It's been translated into so many languages. Everybody knows La Vamba. And um The fact that people know that song but don't really know the history of the genre or what Son Jarocho is and that it predates mariachi and this really thick intersection of African and Baroque and and, and Andalusian and indigenous cultures in one music um, that's really a, a symbol of contemporary Mexico as we know it. Son Jarocho is basically that amalgamation of cultures and instrumentation and rhythms and song histories that arrive and are born in Mexico over the last 300 years from sort of the colonial period now and uh, that's shared with other son forms in, in Latin America, like Cuban son and, you know, there's Venezuelan music and, and music from other parts of the world that some at some point resembled son jarocho but developed differently after all those countries become independent and sort of do their own thing nationally. So, again, if you know what la Bamba is, then you know sort of the genre roughly and now it's sort of become more and more popular over the last 20 or 30 years uh, especially here in the states this musical culture is a holistic culture it's kind of like hip hop it's a little like the blues it's it's living in the countryside in this case in southern Veracruz. It's building your own instruments. It's dancing in the middle of the night for for nights on end. Sometimes in these rural parts of Mexico, where there used to be no other entertainment or or form of sort of uh, music other than what was grown there and what was native. So it's had a, an incubation period in in southern Mexico that, that's that's really deep and profound, and, and it's been carried on and preserved as a tradition by various dynasties, various families. And so Beyond Lavamba follows one of the youth from one of those families, a young guy in his 20s who carries that 300 years of culture on his back as he comes from southern Veracruz into the Midwest of the U.S.
0: I'm speaking to Marco Villalobos. He is a co-director and producer of this film, Beyond La Bamba, which folks can actually check out now. People can stream it off of PBS World, and he'll tell you a little bit more about that in a bit. But before we get to it, so your film tackles this huge story of... What is this music that involves so many different pieces and history and culture and really tells a story of Mexico that many people don't know. But it also tells a story of a young person having to leave his home to survive and find his own identity and really rebuild his life because of so many of the world conditions, social conditions that we have. So it's a very universal story. Tell us about more about the main personaje, the main character in your film.
5: Mm-hmm. I mean, the main character is always sort of the music behind everything and sort of how that drives and holds people together. You know, the main character is also the, sort of the idea of family and, and what it means to be a parent and see your child go off into the world, and what it means to be a child and, and go off into the world always sort of looking back over your shoulder for what home was and, and sort of over the the horizon to what home is. And and that's, in this case, in, in the case of Beyond Lavamba, it's manifested by Jose Luis Utrera, who, if anyone does know Son Jarocho, they know the Utrera family, and there's a sort of, a few different branches of that family. And I think one of the, the raices of the family, one of the, the main sort of pillars of the family was Don Esteban Utrera, uh, who passed away a few years ago, actually during the production of the film. And Don Esteban was sort of like they broke the mold in a lot of ways after they made him, uh, there's, he was a, I mean, how do you say, Don Esteban Utrera was a pillar of Sonjarocho culture. Like a lot of people are men and women, dancers, singers, instrument makers. He was from El Hato, Veracruz, or he lived his life there and built a family there. And he is sort of a, Emblematic of of Mexico and its transition into modernity, and he lived in this rural part of Veracruz, again El Hato, and and was a, a farmer and a musician, and in in the truest sense, in that you know he would he would go out into the fields and the milpa and and cultivate. And he would come home and, and eat and and sit in his hammock and, and play his harana. People would visit. He would teach sort of just by playing. And his children, Camarino Utrera, one uh, of them, Tacho Utrera, another, his children learned from him, being around him. And his grandchildren, again, Jose Luis Utrera is a, a grandchild of Esteban Utrera, and he learned in his grandfather's lap, basically. And so... At a certain point, you know, as any young person, you, you get a, curious about the world around you, especially if you're in a place where you're sort of isolated in the countryside. And at a certain point, Jose Luis wanted to sort of strike out on his own, realizing that his family and the sort of rural conditions that a lot of people around the world find themselves in was sort of stretching to make ends meet from, from day to day. He wanted to give back in a lot of ways. And so the way that he found to do that was to come into the United States for work. You know, and, it, and it's a story that that's shared by not just people from from Mexico, but people from all over the world that that really find a way here into the States and in in helping their own families to, to get ahead day by day through remission are also um helping this country to sort of stay afloat in a lot of ways. So we wanted to to sort of pay tribute to that experience and also to the music and the fact that that, that this young person was here taking responsibility for not just his family, but also for the community of people around him in the Midwest, uh, in the city that he landed in, caring for that community and creating community really through music that was to him so so natural and that, that people were really gravitating toward across the country at, at, at that time.
0: I'm speaking with Marco Villalobos. He is telling us a little bit about the story of Beyond La Bamba, which is a documentary that folks can catch through PBS World and he's kind of talked about some of the many different issues that are universal that are tackled through this film Mm -hmm. and part of the reason it's so important to watch a film about Son Jarocho and not just hear the music, which I love the music, you know, Tacho comes to town he's incredible, we love him but to really see jaranas that were made by hand, to see requintos that are made by hand, to see the quijada, donkey jaw that's played and just add so much, to see people get up on the tarima and and, you know sapatd and make music. there's so many different components of this of this music, and the fandangos, like you said, parties into the night that are really about community building and storytelling and they're stories that are hundreds of years old so what what are some stories that maybe people would hear or learn or be exposed to about Mexico that maybe otherwise they wouldn't hear by watching this film
5: there's i mean we started this film in two thousand eight, and along the ways you can imagine you know working year by year and just documenting, really the, the, the project started out as just a way to document this this music and, and the people that were moving it really from the ground up in Mexico. And in that way there are so many stories and this basically is just one of those stories It's in a half hour form. Again, you can watch it online like you mentioned, probably up until about October 15th on PBS World. Uh, and you can also check local listings for air dates between now and October 15th because it's airing nationally and it's from city to city some of the stories that you find in Son Jarocho, in, in the culture in the in the lyrics are are tremendous themselves i mean you know there's songs like the chuchumbé and there's a petenera there's like just there's tremendous inspiration in the lyrics of the songs and in people's day-to-day lives there's this this common understanding of what sort of struggle is and and where inspiration and power come from and that's really from the music itself and what drives it. And and one of the big differences I've found between the music in Veracruz and sort of what people have picked up and learned here is that a lot of times you can almost hear the heart of the music when you listen to to someone play it who who grew up playing it in Mexico. And you can hear people who've picked it up in the States sort of stretch to find that same drive in their own music. And I don't know, really, I, I hate to say, but it's 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 one thing to hear a group from here play it and to enjoy it and to be able to participate and learn yourself. It's a whole other thing to be enveloped in in the culture when someone from Veracruz arrives here to play it. Someone like Tacho or someone like Los Cojolites or Son de Madera or one of these great groups like Mono Blanco or even Gambalacha in L.A., you know, shout out to Cesar Castro, a Jarochu living in L.A. who's really done a lot to sort of keep the, the culture pointed in the right direction in terms of the appropriation that's happening in the United States. So again, just to answer your question, some of the stories that we find, you know, we really focus in Beyond La Bamba on the story of this one family and then this one instance of separation where, where a son leaves and, and he yearns for his patria, you know, by well being here and building a, a life for himself. That's sort of a new story, in a way, for us. We don't see the fact that people contribute culturally to this country. We we think, you know, everyone's a worker, and you know, we know immigrants are in the fields, and we fight for their rights, and we fight for their representation, and we know that there are dreamers and and the undocumented who who need to be who need to be rallied around and held and supported, you know, and in a lot of ways, we overlook the fact that culturally, not just to the economy, but but culturally, there's a wealth of input that's being injected by people like José Luis Utrera, um, you know, again, by people like César Castro, people who bring an art and a soul into this country that otherwise wouldn't be here. So, I mean, that's really the main story here, as far as as I see it, you know, that's, it, it took us you know 8 years to sort of capture the complete arc of his story so that a lot happens in that time and we've condensed it into 26 minutes and 40 seconds <laughs> but uh there are other stories again we we spent a lot of time documenting just the sound of uh, of the culture in Veracruz we lived there for a while my co-producer David Altan and myself and, and we just went from community to community, to quinceanera, to, to bolas, to, to funerals, to, to fandangos, you know, just all over the place, just really looking at what was at the heart of the culture and trying to learn it ourselves, really, uh, in order to sort of give an honest documentation. So there are other films buried in that footage that we have, and this is sort of the first one to surface, and we're interested in sort of, like you said, telling more of those stories because it's a tremendous vehicle for storytelling, and and there are tremendous characters in the music, the musicians themselves, the younger generation of people that have grown up and all this bridge between the ancianos and the sort of the jovenes that are, that are learning to play with more ferocity and more dedication every day.
0: Marco Villalobos, co-producer and director of Beyond La Bamba, remind folks again where they can check out and see this film.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. We were lucky enough to get some support from Latino Public Broadcasting, and they really helped us to push it out nationally. Uh, and PBS World is is a channel that picked it up and is really doing wonderful work uh, by showing be, not just Beyond La Bamba, but other emerging filmmakers, Latino and otherwise, who otherwise might... Miss a platform and miss a way to find everybody. So you can check us out online at pbsworld.com dot com. You can check your local listings, whatever your PBS channel is. You know, do a search for Beyond Love, alma for air dates between now and October fifteenth. If you're in the Bay Area, we'll have a screening in Berkeley on October eighteenth at UC Berkeley, and, and you're welcome to come to that. You know, we encourage you. To, to show up and really see this thing on the big screen. It was really meant to be a theatrical release, and, and actually it's a lot more of a traditional documentary in the form that it is now, but again, the, the original idea in 2008 when we set out recording stuff was to, um, to present a real experiential, 90 minutes of of music and lifestyle from Veracruz and like I said a lot of that footage is in the can and it's it's sort of just waiting for its day and so this is sort of a short introduction into what the culture is and really what the sacrifice of the people who make this music and who who carry this music on their shoulders what their sacrifices are when they when they look to the day-to-day making ends meet it's really something that we don't we don't appreciate enough where the music comes from and it, it comes from a very specific struggle.
0: So how can people stay up on the work that you're doing?
5: You can go to flywitnessfilms.com. Uh, That's one place. That's uh, what we call the film house that we, that we originally set out to tackle this project with. And then there's a Beyond La Facebook page that I'll try to keep active for a while. You can check that out. Um, but really just check out what's going on around you in the community. Word of mouth is always my preferred mode of communication.
0: So we've had the pleasure to have Marco Villalobos. Muchísimas gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. We appreciate your work documenting this important music that is about more than just music. It's about keeping culture alive and keeping traditions here with us.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: want to make sure our listeners have a lot of ways to plug in and support during these difficult times. There will be a fundraiser actually today. After the show, you can head on over to the Octopus Literary Lounge. Presentes for Puerto Rico, fundraising for Hurricane Maria Relief. This is to support the island. It's a fundraising concert with the Puerto Rican Diaspora Music by Las Sucias, Majo, Mari José Montijo, and Taller Bombalele. So folks can hit that up and go to the Octopus Literary Lounge. Along with money, which is always good to support, people can also donate supplies. And if you go to their Facebook page and type in Presentes for Puerto Rico fundraiser for Hurricane Maria Relief, you can find out more information there. And the show is from 7 to 10. That is tonight. We started this with some music from Marco Montijo. Next, we want to highlight the National Day of Action, which will be focused in Oakland on Wednesday, October 5th. And this is a day where folks are going to be able to call out and for, to forgive the debt in Puerto Rico. This was a national ac- action, and people will be meeting in downtown, at downtown Oakland at the federal building. We also have a few other events that are happening soon. Huelga, presented by Bindlestiff, will tell the story of farmworker organizing. And we also have the opening of the Dia de los Muertos Altares at SOMARTS. Remembrance and Resistance, Dia de los Muertos opening at SOMARTS in San Francisco, this Friday from 6 to 9. And that's at 934 Brandon Street, San Francisco, California. And on Saturday, October 7th, during the MAP Mission Arts Performance Project event, there will be an art sale for Mexico's Earthquake Relief at, at the Mission Cultural Center for the Arts. This will be Saturday, October 7th, from 6.30 to 10.30, and people can find out more at the Mission Cultural Center for the Arts website. If you know of any other events that, that we want to get the word out about, or if you'd like to participate and support our collective and produce radio, please be in touch. You can email us at Chronicles at kpfa.org. That's Chronicles at kpfa.org. You can also listen to this program again or share it with a friend through our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com/la raza chronicles. Muchísimas gracias por estar con nosotros. Buenas noches.